Brooklyn's radio spoke to Dan Abrams, a journalist and author from Surrey, who has released his latest book, 71-72, Football's Greatest Season. In the book, Dan goes back through the annals to look at the 1971-72 season, where some of the world's best players were plying their trade across England. The likes of Best, Keegan, Charlton and more are names which are fondly remembered alongside the likes of Pelé, Cruyff, Beckenbauer and Eusebio. It wasn't just on the pitch where the British game was excelling, with Clough, Shankly and Allison fighting it out for one of the closest championship title races ever. Here's what Dan had to say about the book. Yeah, well, um, I've been in the print, as the common parlance is, for about 25 years. Um, I've worked freelance and worked all over the place, regionals, I've worked for the Surrey Herald and the Informer Group uh, as a cub reporter many years ago. I think I had hair then. Um, and then worked at the Sunday Mirror for 10 years, um, freelance around all, all over the place, really, Sun, Sun Online, News of the World, Guardian, stuff like that. Um, and uh, I currently apply my trade for the, with the MOD and the Royal Air Force. Um, I'm sort of deputy editor of, a, of, of a, and part of a media and communications group, but I predominantly cover sport within the RAF and then the UK Armed Forces, which is the tri, tri services together. Um, been all over the world with it, really, covering that and um, covered news areas such as the drawdown of Afghanistan, Op Herrick in 2014 and stuff like that. Spent six weeks over there. So um, quite a, yeah, quite a varied, varied career, really. Yeah. OK, OK. And, and, and whereabouts in Surrey are you? Are you based? I'm in Thorpe, Thorpe, Thorpe Village. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you decided to to write a book, um, obviously uh, using your years of experience as a sort of sports journalist. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you could tell me a, a bit about the book and why you decided to to write about the, that particular season. Yeah. No, no problem. So it's, <clears throat> it's technically my second book, as I had a a ghost wrote a book for, or with, in conjunction with a squadron leader in the RAF that dealt with rugby league in 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 the, in the military services so um, I had a little bit of experience and then I self-published some fiction titles and so on but this uh, as a as a as a project was three years solid work really um, I chose the season I mean I'm I'm I was probably too young to have lived the whole thing as it were so I've had to sort of paraphrase it through uh, friends and, and and the experience and research sort of thing but um, I, I mean as a season the, the title of the book is 71-72 football's greatest season with a question mark but to be honest there doesn't need to be a question mark it is football's greatest season There's, there is no question about it in my opinion I mean it was the the closest run championship which was then now they're called the, the, the Premier League there were divisions then years ago so it's the championship first division um, Derby won by one point Lillianid Leeds Liverpool and Man City following after that on 57 Derby at 58 um, and just had sort of heavyweights such as Brian I mean these, these people are still the heavyweights in the game respect wise Brian Clough Dom Revy Bill Shankly uh, Malcolm Allenson you had the, uh, the season of the Centenary FA Cup so that when Derby won the league they were the seventh winner in seven seasons seven different, different winner in seven seasons um, the FA Cup was a centenary year, which Leeds beat Arsenal 1 0. They were the 10th different winner in 10 seasons. Um, and then it, it wasn't just really the big clubs that struck me as interesting, it was all over the leagues. Um, and he was fantastic to us as a guy 
called Fred Davis, who you, he was at Shrewsbury, he's a Shrewsbury Town ball boy. He was an old gentleman, 70 odd years old. Um, Fred would use a coracle to ride out, row out across the seven when the balls were kicked out by the Shrewsbury players from Gay Meadow to bring them back for 50p. And then the match would continue because they didn't have enough balls to let them sit in the water and play the game. This sort of stuff was continuous. There is thousands of these little pieces in, 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 the, in the book. I mean, there's the Ronnie Radford rocket, the goal which uh, saw Hereford equalise with Newcastle in the FA Cup, probably one of the most played goals apart from Jeff Hurst's goal in 1966. The voice to that was John Motson. It was John Motson's first big break. It was the season that basically gave John Motson to British football te- and television. Um, George Best was still playing. The start of the Maverick players were there. People like Frank Worthington. Stan Bowles was just on the way up. Um, there was the famous transfer that didn't happen with Frank Worthington in 1972 when he was supposed to sign for Liverpool. He was. Um, uh, they took him into the medical and he had high blood pressure. Liverpool sent him away for a week in Magaluf and he came back with even higher blood pressure. So they didn't sign him. Um, this stuff is is continuous. It, it's just every every page is full of this and all, and all divisions. So it, it's not one for the big clubs or, or whatever. And and it's a there's a global global side to it. I mean, there's um, there's a story of a guy called Aldo Poi who scored um, what they call a palomita, which is a diving header for a, an Argentine club called Rosario Central. Um, the goal was in the semi-final. It then went on, so Rosario won their first Argentine national championship uh, as a part of that goal. Um, Poi said that the, the fans will remember this goal for the rest of their lives. They celebrate the goal every year. They reenact it on December the 19th, and they're so obsessed with Poi and the goal, they've moved Christmas Day. The fans of the club moved Christmas Day to celebrate it on July 28th, which is Aldo Poi's birthday. This sort of obsession and stuff is continuous in the book. It really is the greatest, the greatest season of all, the greatest football season of all. So, right. I, I, I like being in a sweet shop, Mark, really. Like being in a sweet shop if you're a football fan or a fan of that time, or, or you know. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it certainly sounds sounds fascinating. Obviously, it was it was before my my time, yeah. um, but yeah. just when you listed off some of the names, sort of like Clough, Shankly, yeah. Best. Um, it's, it's it's obviously a, a period of period of football where some of the best best players and best managers were were in, in the British game. Yeah. Um. I mean, for for you go, going back through through that period and and see, seeing seeing and researching um that that season in particular, what what sort of feelings did, did it did it give to you as as a as a football fan? Um, the charm of it all and the romance of it all really. I mean, the players drank in pubs with the with the fans. Um, I mean, there's a there's a lovely story. This sort of stuff just wouldn't happen now. And uh, I mean, with Pele, Santos uh, bought Pele at that time, the most famous football player in the world, and still probably one of them now, um, to pay for the to pay for the the wages and so on and the transfer. Uh, Santos toured Pele and, uh, and the team around the world. They were playing at Aston Villa, a third division team at the time, and floodlights. So there was no floodlights for a lot of grounds and stuff like that. So um, Doug Ellis bought a generator to provide floodlights for Aston Villa so that 55,000 people could spend an afternoon watching Pelé play for Santos. That Just that just that act in itself of the chairman going out and, and buying a generator so people can watch the greatest football player the most famous football player in the world just filled me with with just the romance of it all in it it, it was just a much just a much more sim- a simpler time 
Um, I mean, I mentioned the Ronnie Radford guy, um, and and I get I get um, uh, John Motson wonderfully provided the foreword in the for the book, but, but in that game, uh, for that game, John Motson drove. Um, uh, I've just confirmed the guys. I can't think of what I'm talking about. Ricky George. He drove Ricky George up for the game. Ricky George played for Hereford. Hereford in the game and scored the winner. Now, can you imagine Manchester City having one uh, Raheem Sterling picked up by me as a reporter and driven to the Man City Cup, <laughs> fifth round of the FA Cup or third round of the FA Cup or whatever it might be? It wouldn't happen now. <laughs> and so it was that sort of thing. It, it just and it really, I ended up with a lot of it. I fell in. I mean, I fell in love with the romance of it. I'm I'm old enough to remember the times and, and those sort of players and the joy of being able to watch match of the day or, or the big match or, or stuff like that. And when you got your snippets of football, um, a lot of stuff on black and black and white televisions, not colour TVs and stuff. But it just it, it just it just captivated me and just and then I kept finding gold under each, under each rock. There was just a little bit more gold, so it just kept enthusing me as well. But there was a real romance to it and a time that, that, that it will never be repeated again, sadly. Um, when the working class game was, was everyone seemed to be involved with it, if, if that makes some sort of sense. And I got that sensation as I was writing the book. OK, OK. Um, I mean, the, the, the season was, was sort of four or five years after the 66 World Cup. Yes, yes. One. Um, I mean, you, 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 you hear a lot of ex-players from from the 90s speaking about how how inspiring that that world cup was for them yeah. as, as young people did did you feel that there was any effects to the to the british game when you were researching from from the 66 world cup that 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 was still lingering yeah yeah that's a, that's a that's a really good question Amar, actually because the book was a sort of a tip that 71 72 season was a tipping point where England were no longer world champions. They'd been beaten in Mexico 70. Um, but we were beaten by Germany. Um, there's a couple of little bits in this stuff. We were beaten by Germany 3-1 in the court form of the European Championship. It was played differently in, in those days at the time. It was organised differently. Um, Bobby Moore was still playing and was sort of crudely ex- exposed during the game. There was, um, there was an upcoming German star called Gunter Netzer, who was also like one of the maverick players that we had and never got the 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 call ups that he deserved, but that was the start of our. I mean, the famous song says "30 Years of Hurt." We didn't beat Germany from that moment onwards until Kevin Keegan's team did in whichever the World Cups was uh, when Alan Shearer scored. But it took all of my lifetime to see England beat Germany again, and we never qualified for a World Cup or any other international tournament, European tournament, throughout the 70s. So there was a real moment of that season where it just fell away, where the heroes of Bobby Moore and all that were gone. And uh, Ramsey was still put, picking them for the team. And then the, but it, there was, there was, yeah, there was just, the, it was the end of that era. And it was an era that was never to be repeated again until today, not this particular day, but this year. And in the last years under Gareth Southgate. And I found that there was a lot of issues that happened in the book or that were clubs that and things that happened in the book that were com- absolutely 100% relevant to today. The England point being one of those. I mean, we beat Germany in the European Championship this time round, and I think the whole nation held its breath for, for 90 minutes, especially when Sterling passed the ball to the Germans and they missed they missed the goal, which should have been an equaliser. But 
there was there, so yes there was a real relevance to that a real a real time that that was where that was where that ended that 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 high watermark rolled back shall we say okay okay um you you, you mentioned um in in uh, at the start of the start of the book um and and just now you, you mentioned that it was a, a real time for, for the working class people that the mm. game mm. Uh, i mean we've we've seen through the pandemic that football's really helped a lot, a lot of people yeah, yeah. especially with, with mental health even though it's been behind closed doors yeah um I mean, how how important did you from your research and um, what, what what's how how important was was football for sort of the everyday the everyday worker and um and and what did sort of having a competitive league um, and a competitive sort of FA Cup do for for football fans? Um, I think I think actually again it's another good question because it. it it was it was in touch with the fans in those days. The fans, say the players were drinking the pubs. Some of them would would would. I mean, Jimmy Greaves had just passed away, uh, and and he was known to get the bus in with his boots around his neck before matches. And this sort of stuff was still relevant then. It was still um, a, a, a really important to people. And and your club was your club. The fans were were. I mean, there was a famous story with Cluffy saying to to the Derby fans who were moaning about certain things, if you don't support us well, I'll pick the club up and move it somewhere else and find some people that do because the fans were considered to be hugely important and and because you had such small snippets the television side of things and so on you you breathe it was, it was sort of breathed and, and and taken in more I mean I've got some love there's some lovely human interest stories which I thought the, the book really needed was just human anger not human interest that makes them sound very cold but human angle stories where, where I spoke to family and friends who were you know uh, 8, 10, 11 years old during that time kids who were obsessed with football and it showed you how much it meant I mean one one of the stories relates to uh, someone who had a an action man figurine one action man figurine and two football kits and they would change the kit as the as the game unplayed in their mind as they were moving the figurine along, so they were Tottenham playing West Ham there to change with the kit. So there was all those sort of things, and and the the players were the like as they were rock and roll stars would be on the front page and the back page and everywhere else. But you would also see them walking down the road. So it it was similar to to sort of how how that became the the, the sport became now with the with the lockdown as football became even more important because it was a real escape. And then I think. The work of people like Gareth Southgate and that fabulous England team, which he's which he's produced, became they became everybody in the country, all races, all creeds, all everything, all sexes, all gender. It became us, and and that that was that was very reminiscent of 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 that time of seventy one, seventy two, and those players there, really, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, um, and and in terms of sort of writing the book and and sort of researching it, what what challenges did did, did you find? When, when you were sort of um, get together, I mean, over, over the last sort of three. <laughs> fitting, fitting it all in. Yeah. I mean, the report, I mean, you'll know yourself, a reporter's worst nightmare is cutting your story down to size. It, there was so much going on, you and I wanted to try and cover, I mean, as I mentioned, Aldo, Poi, Pele, it was all over the world. So I was trying to encapsulate everything. So really that was the, because there was just so much. And in, and in part, probably believing most of it because it's just thinking this can't be true you know this can't I mean I'll give you give you a very simple example um 
in there's a famous Manchester United player called Harry Gregg. Harry Gregg was a hero in the Munich air disaster in 1958. Um, in 1971, he kept running back in and getting people out, even though they said, don't go near the plane. He saved Bobby Charlton's life and so on and so forth. Um, in 1971, he was the manager of Shrewsbury Town. Um, the chairman of Shrewsbury Town was a guy called Sidney Yates. Sidney Yates was a navigator uh, for the RAF in World War II. Um, and the navigator that he served under was Captain James Thane. Captain, Captain James Thane was the pilot of the ill-fated plane in the Munich air disaster. That is the sort of stuff that was going on in the book continually. And you think that can't be true. That can't, And so I'd spent months then <laughs> going through it all, double checking, double. And it was true. And you would come away and either be smiling or crying or shocked by a, a statistic like that, or that tragedy, the Busby Babes. And, but but it just seemed to be there. And, and so that was the challenge, I think, was to get it into 300 odd pages and not go insane. <laughs> Okay, okay. Um, I think um, uh, over the summer um, with the Euros, we saw a lot of positivity around around the England team getting to the finals, sort of the whole nation behind them. Um, but but after the final and after the loss of the penalties, we obviously saw the sort of horrible yeah. racist abuse. Yeah. Um, I mean, hearing stories from from the seventies, not not about football directly, but about society more in general. There was, there was, there was a lot, a lot more of that overt racist abuse in, in yeah. society. Yeah. And how did that sort of impact football at that period? And and how, how mean, have you it, dealt with that in your book at all? It, well, I I have not 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 sort of specifically. I, I used um, the example of absolute positivity and people who who broke ground. I mean, I don't know if the name. We had George Best playing at the time. We also had Clyde Best. Clyde Best was one of the first black players, played for West Ham, a brilliant player, titan of a man. He broke down so many barriers. So I've concentrated on players, that example and the positivity of those things, because there was, yeah, there was. I mean, you have to think while that was going on, Enoch Powell was raging on about his disgusting, you know, lines of, of rivers of blood and all this sort of stuff. So in, on the television, the country was being told this by, by a, a lunatic like that. And on the pitches, People like Clive Best were setting an example of the positivity of, of multicultural society and so on and so forth. So it was still relevant. It was it was. But it, this was the start of that type of thing where you would see a black player on the pitch for the first time. And um, and yes, yeah, so so, so I've, I have concentrated on those on those points and, and used it through that way. So same thing as you say, is the positivity. But then, of course, there's always the dark side with these people and their horrific behaviour and viewpoints. One day we'll silence them, I think, you know. Um, and 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 you and you mentioned um, and you mentioned that it was a time when football wasn't on TV. If it was, it'd be sort of maybe one match in black yeah. and white, and and people would sit in front of their TV to watch match of the day in the yeah. evening, or I imagine switch on the teletext to check the scores during during the day. No, no, it's uh, yeah, it was a teleprinter, but but not, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, how 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 has the game? How has TV changed sort of the English game, um, and and sort of all the big games are on TV now. Yeah. Has has sort of our society lost that connection with the with the yeah. local football club? Yes, it has. The big game in the Premier League or the TV. Yeah, it has. And, and I mean, even just on the smallest way, the propensity for for shock results. I mean, in in seventy in the seventy one seventy two season, we had League Cup, FA Cup, Anglo Italian Cup, the Watneys Cup, and in the Watneys Cup. 
um, uh, Halifax beat Manchester United 2-1 in uh, in the third the third division. Halifax that was that was a team that consisted of, of Dennis Law and George Best. So that this wasn't a, they didn't just turn out a, a B team, which would now happen in the League Cup. So people, I mean, and if you look at that, well, I think the television coverage is now pushing for um, Champions League and the Premier League and, and, and so on and so forth. But it, and not the lower divisions don't really get much coverage and people don't understand that. And that that's what's happened in those in 71, 72. Any football was was roundly supported and watched because you didn't get to see as much of it. And I think people went to the local clubs as well as the bigger the bigger clubs. But I just I do believe that that the the, the mass coverage loses not only the, the, the competition because it funds the bigger clubs, which is now you'd say that this was the closest season in history. And the last season that you would have so many teams battling for a, for a championship uh, title get so close together, then it would generally be down to one or two and Liverpool started to take a stronghold and stuff like that. That was 71, 72 was, this, was the last of those seasons before that sort of thing started to happen. And that was paid for by television in, in many ways. Um, I suppose the best way I can describe it is in 71, 72, football was used to enhance football. Uh, television, television was used to enhance football. Nowadays, almost the football is almost a secondary, secondary thought. It's what television wants and television dictates to the game. And also people have lost the history, the memory of, of the game because most people only think that football began when the Premier League started rather than years before, you know. So. Okay, yeah, yeah. I also wanted to sort of touch on sort of um, what what was happening on on the pitch compared to compared to now? Um, I mean, um, looking back through through the through the annals and some of the names you've mentioned, that there's yeah. some, some brilliant players, some some of the best in in world football and yeah. in England. Not, um, even even their their memories still linger today at their their various clubs. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and obviously there's some excellent players in the modern game, um, sort of pinned up by Messi and Ronaldo. Yeah. How does the football on the pitch can compare and um, I don't want to say is, is it better now or but, but how, how is it different now to what it was back then? Well you had gra- you didn't have much grass on the pitch for a start in the 70s I mean the, the pitch is I mean again people might not remember so much but they used to have to paint the lines and the, and the penalty spot on because the pitches would be just mud bars um, I mean the game's a lot more technical now and it's not as free flowing, and there's not sort of error wise. There's not the same type of thing, and the athletes are are drilled and fit, and, and levels of fitness are, are so high. But uh, I mean, the ball control, the skill, the flair that belongs to the 70s, not so much now. Okay, you have Messi, you have Ronaldo, but in the 70s in England alone, English players of the likes of Stan Bowles. Frank Worthington, Tony Curry, Rodney Marsh, they were as good as these people. Um, they may not have played as many games and they may not have had as much opportunity, but and they may not have played in teams that had the likes of Xavi and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that they get to play alongside. I mean, Stan Bowles was a, was a superstar. Colton Noten sort of described as the messy of his time, played for QPR. Um, they would have, I mean, they had, a, 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 it was my team, they had some fabulous players, but they didn't have, uh, one to 11 hundred million pound players who were cherry picked and, and the best in the world. It, it wasn't like that. So they were they were stars in their own right and 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 maverick known as maverick players. But te- technically they were just as gifted as these players. 
But if you're playing on a mud bath with a heavier ball, your fitness levels are different because you probably smoke and drink, which they would have done then. <laughs> um, you know, it's just a different game. But the one thing it has over today's game, the romance, really, and the charm of it. I mean, there's fabulous stories of players doing all sorts of things. I mean, Bobby, in the semi-final of the League Cup in this year, which Stoke went on to win, Bobby Moore, England's captain, um, went went in goal because they only had had one substitute and they didn't want to substitute certain players and so on and so forth. And Clyde Best, who was supposed to be going goal, didn't go in goal. He went in goal and the opposition goal goal at the other end was Gordon Banks. Bobby Moore saved a penalty. And Gordon Banks have a penalty from Jeff Hurst. So it still goes back to 1966 and all that sort of stuff. But that's the difference. I can't imagine Messi going in goal now. Although yeah. saying that, he'll probably go in goal tomorrow night. But, but you know, the, it's just the way things are. I think they've got eight or something substitutes now. You had one. And yeah. So Bobby Don the glove. So that's the sort of, that's the difference. It was a bit more, a bit more realistic, I think, now. I think, you know, or then, sorry, then. Sorry, not, not now. Okay. Um. And and if you could if you could just sort of sort of tell our listeners um, when the book's out and and where where they can where they can buy it. Be my be my pleasure and, and thank you for the opportunity. So the book is out by Pitch Publishing. It's published by Pitch Publishing, uh, which is their website, pitchpublishing.co.uk. It's available in Smiths, Waterstones, Tesco, ASDA. I am sort of eyeing a little list down there. Amazon. It's doing very well on Amazon in pre-sales at the moment. It's in the top twenty most wanted football books. Um, it's uh, and it's out on October the 18th. And it's 71 72. Football's greatest season with a question mark, but you can really take the question mark away because it is. <laughs> that was Dan Abrams, a journalist and author from Surrey, whose book 71 72 Football's Greatest Season is out on 18th October. It's certainly a fascinating read and will surely be a hit. It'll be available to buy from Amazon and other retailers from 18th of October.